Greetings and salutations, friends, and welcome back to The Arcade. We are your video game podcast here, back with you once again in the month of November. How's it going, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? I am Mike the Legend, who is uh, once again coming to you between your ears or through one ear and out the other, whatever the case might be. Hope uh, hope I'm coming in loud and clear and hope you're enjoying us for uh, this rousing new edition of The Arcade. And uh, thanks for joining us once again, everyone. It's good to be back here. Yeah. Yes, uh, and this week on this, as you said, rousing new edition of the arcade, I am the other voice, as I always am. This week, I'm Dennis, the man who continues to be baffled by the poorly thought out get-rich-quick schemes of others. <laughs> you know, it seems like these days there have been a lot of different get-rich-quick schemes that, you know, with varying degrees of um, understanding I have of how they work. I mean, I'm not, this isn't a way, this isn't, just to be clear, we're not ranting about NFTs again. I think we've done enough of that in the, you know, course um, of this year. Course of the well, we're not directly ranting about NFTs and like how we don't understand them again. We've done that a lot, yes. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this is just more, more a local thing. Like you know, like as you get to be a certain age, and like you know, if you are a homeowner, for example, you start to kind of like look at other real estate listings just out of curiosity over periodic time, just to see, you know. What are the values like in your neighborhood? What are, what, you know, if you were to sell your house, what could you get for what price, mm-hmm. et cetera? Like, let's say you're looking at moving or whatever. Like, real estate is basically a thing that people invariably, I think, will start looking at, even if it's the, that's just where we're from. I know in other places in the States and whatnot, real estate and owning property and stuff does seem like it's kind of an untenable thing. And for that, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about where we're from. It's still not totally untenable here, so, you know, it's, it's it, a thing. It's still manageable right now, even though the uh, real estate market where we are is supposedly red hot, although I think that uh, statement can be applied to most cities across North America. Yeah, but my, my whole point, though, is that my whole point of bringing this up is that on occasion, you'll see things that don't make any sense whatsoever happen in a, you know... In a listing or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, you might look at a thing and go, wait, why is that so expensive? <laughs> and that's happened recently. There was a house that was sitting, vac- well, over the course of the past year, a house that was kind of in my neighborhood, very kind of close by, was for sale for quite some time. Uh, I saw the price of this house drop over the course of several months from one value to a value that was like maybe let's say $70,000 less than what the initial listing was. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that's probably what it around what it sold for. So it sold finally after the course of like five months or something like that. New people have moved in. New people have lived there for a month. New people have listed the house now for $130,000 above what I'm, what I suspect they paid the house paid for the house. With doing zero work to the house. (laughs) Except now we're starting winter. So the house sat for several months not selling over the course of summer, the nicer time of year when you, you know, it's nicer to look at houses. You get to see the full extent of what the yard can look like when it's, you know, fully Mm -hmm. in bloom and whatever else. Get an idea of what the neighborhood will look like too, and who, uh, who in the neighborhood keeps up with their lawn and takes yeah. care of their residences, and and who just uh, lets the weeds roll in. Yeah. So, 
winter's just starting now. We just, you know, snow's now firmly on the ground here in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and it's just, the house just went up for sale again at this crazy price. <laughs> so, clearly a get-rich-quick scheme, except it doesn't seem super well thought out. As you noted, even looking at some of the pictures in it and stuff don't really make sense either, because it's like, in a, in a way... You know, there's those things that we've seen on Reddit and whatnot where people are just kind of <laughs> showing, like, crazy houses for sale where, like, the pictures don't make it look like, you know, it's a house you should buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this isn't one of those, like, insane ones where it, like, looks like murders have happened or anything like that. But <laughs> this one definitely has some uh, strange, poorly, like, staged photos, like a mattress on a floor with just a suitcase in one room and... You know, basically nothing on the walls anywhere, nothing anywhere, like a cup, like a couch and like a TV in the living room and nothing else. Yeah, these are all images on the the listing for this house that uh, you sent me the link to the other day. We had basically a good back and forth throughout the course of the day, Yeah, as I believe you were having with other people, too, about the same listing, the same property. Uh, uh, the people who know know what we're talking about, but uh, in a very local sense. Uh, but th- there was about a dozen photos, and none of them really did a good job of highlighting the best features of the house, doing uh, uh, anything to really present it in a, a good or fair light. Now, traditionally, when looking through uh, f- photos on a real estate listing of a house or, or a condo, whatever the case might be, uh, usually... Uh, things will be staged, too. Yeah. So staged in a way so that anyone looking, any prospective buyer, can get an idea of what they can do with the space. It's one thing to have an empty room and say, it is this you know wide by this deep and, and this tall and whatnot. But if you put furniture in there and maybe have some, you know, a, a bed here and a desk there and a dresser there and maybe something on the walls, you can get an idea of the space, what you can do with it and how you can arrange it. And that potentially might draw in more buyers rather than just empty, barren rooms. Yeah. And this house that uh, we are talking about uh, that is uh, listed for 120, 130,000 more than what uh, you are believing it sold for just a couple months ago is basically empty. Yeah. It is basically empty. The the two-bedroom photos of the three or four bedrooms that... I, I think it's four bedrooms. It's a four-bed, three-bath. So it's a good size. Yeah. A good amount of bedrooms. Uh, they're all snapped with, uh, in one case, a mattress straight up on the floor with a... <laughs> As you said, a suitcase beside it, which is a unique look. Yeah. And looks sketchy. Like, uh, <laughs> like it's a flopped house, like it's just being used by squatters, uh, like unsavory things are being done there. Uh, there, the other bedroom photo, uh, is at least with a bed on a box spring, but that's it. Yeah. It was a made up bed. In a room with nothing else in it. No nothing dresser, else in it. No nothing. There's no pictures of closet space. There's no pictures of like, like laundry facilities. There's one picture of the kitchen and it doesn't really show a lot of like the, you know, the, the appliances and everything. You see the fridge, but you don't see the oven or stove or anything like that. You know, it's, it's strange. So I don't know. <laughs> this was just a, a weird thing to rant about, but. Come on, like, you're, they didn't even do any work or even paint the house or anything. Like, if you're going to buy a house, like, at least maybe you should look to see if it's been, like, like 
if the price you sold it at was maybe overvalued or not. Because, mm-hmm. like, if it sat for five months without anyone buying it, maybe there's something wrong with it. Are you sure there's nothing wrong with this house? Maybe it's haunted. Maybe <laughs> it's, uh, there's a restless spirit just tormenting all who dwell within. We don't know, but, uh... Yeah, I, I'm sure we're not uh, the only ones to come across these houses that are just wildly evaluated uh, and outpriced and, and outstrip the rest of uh, the neighborhood and, and the other houses in the, the area with uh, just ridiculous evaluations. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, it, but it's fun to look. You know, there's an element of uh, like an accepted and acceptable peeping tomness when you're just looking at real estate listings. Like, ooh, how did they arrange? Like, oh, they chose that. They painted it that color. Ooh. Or even just like looking at like what's what's in the pictures. Sometimes you're like, oh, they had that type of TV. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they had a lot of exercise equipment that uh, doesn't really look like they were using. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> No, I, I'm not that much of a no. dick. No, but you know, but no, it's, it's a weird little, it's like this acceptable form of being a peeping Tom almost, mm-hmm. like where you just like, also for anyone who's shopped for a house before, it's a weird experience as well. Like you're walking through other people's lives basically mm-hmm. and you feel weird about it, but you know, it's an acceptable thing that you do when you want to buy or sell a house. It's just sort of like people need to know what you know, the spaces look like and stuff and what they can do with it. So like, yeah, like unless you, unless it's like a house that's been sitting vacant, but no one wants that because a vacant house doesn't give you an idea of what a space can do. No. And there's something unsettling about seeing a house that is just totally empty, barren yeah. and devoid of any footprint of an existence. Yeah. That's just weird and unsettling and makes any sort of buyer ask questions like what the hell's going on here? What happened? Did everyone just, you know, get up and leave in the middle of the night? Did federal authorities come in and they just had to get the hell out of Dodge real quick? <laughs> yes. You know, I, so uh, that's kind of what it feels like with this house. A dozen pictures, uh, two or three of which are of the same shot outside, uh, majority of them from nighttime. <laughs> yes. So we're not going to link to the house or anything no. like that, but no, it's just, it's just a weird, weird thing. Like, what I guess I'll put it out there to anyone who's listening. Is this the craziest thing you've heard in terms of like real estate? What are your crazy real estate noticings? You know, have you seen people really try to have as shameless of a cash grab as this before? Just let us know. Info at the arcade show dot com. com. Yeah. <laughs> Hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter and on Facebook's at the arcade show on both of those platforms and, uh, yeah, so houses uh, and the real estate. Uh, another old man topic we're getting into here is the uh, arcade gradually evolves from uh, just the, the young, spry, uh, video game-centric program it was to now it's just old man corner. <laughs> old man corner. Coming up uh, later on, uh, discussion on an obscure World War II battle. And uh, yeah, before that, of course, smoked meat corner. Stay around for smoked meat corner. <laughs> Talking about corned beef. In Smoked Meat Corner. Smoked Beef Corner. Whoa. Smoked Beef Corner, which is very hard to say quickly. It, it is, yes. Because Smoked Meef cor- Corber is not... Those aren't words. That's a typo. That's yeah, a typo you're just saying to trying to say out loud. That's that's an aphasia that's currently happening in my brain. Uh, 
No, I have not had a stroke, but that is another old man topic that we don't need to get into. No, that's uh, those are for <laughs> other uh, health really uh, related and centric podcasts uh, that are not uh, on this network. Uh, <laughs> network of us. <laughs> the, net, the network of this one show that's <laughs> currently us and no one else. This burgeoning network with one show, but man, sky's the limit. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but instead, we'll move on and talk about uh, another, uh, well, perhaps some other get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, this one, uh, well, both of them kind of tying into very popular uh, topics we've spoken about on the program through the course of this calendar year. The first one tying into the collectibles market and how it seems through the course of 2021 to really have just gone off the goddamn rails, uh, be it collectible video games, which we have spoken about at length on this program, or in other... Other areas, such as collectible cards, uh, most often those are Pokemon cards and news that uh, slipped under our wire up until this point and has likely gone unnoticed on your feeds and your wires, but we'll talk about it now and uh, have a good chuckle about it. But uh, it seems like a, a get-rich-quick scheme that uh, ultimately was figured out and uh, undone by authorities. Uh, the news coming by way of Kotaku, who came across this article from Macon, Georgia, out of the grand old USA. Uh, but they say that uh, a, a man from Dublin, Georgia, has been accused by U.S. federal prosecutors of fraudulently applying for an economic injury disaster loan. And the man is cla- uh, the man claimed to be running a business, but reportedly spent most of the money he got from this economic injury disaster loan uh, to purchase a rare Pokemon card instead. Instead of actually using it to fund his business, keep uh, him him and himself uh, going uh, through the COVID times, uh, no, bought a Pokemon card. Yeah, so this um, EIDL loan that he got uh, was for $85,000, and 57000 of that went towards a Pokemon card. So this is a big no-no if you are um, applying for one of these things because this literally is meant to be relief aid for your employees and stuff. Yeah. So it's fraud to not use it for that purpose. And he was found out, and he's now risking up to 20 years in jail. Yes, up to 20 years in federal prison yeah. and could also be looking at a fine of upwards of 250000 U.S. dollars. Because he applied for basically a COVID business uh, loan uh, to help deal and with the circumstances of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, which are still ongoing and have been for a while and likely will for the next, uh, you know, several many months. And the intent of this loan program, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan that was uh, done by the U.S. federal government, uh, was to help American businesses uh, help them cover things like payroll, rent, utilities, and, and just other ordinary business expenses during the, you know, really the height of the COVID pandemic. You know, things that happened in Canada and the United States, federal, the federal governments of both countries were pumping out money with business loans and just other social programs to keep people and businesses afloat through the course of everything. Yeah, like because lots and lots of people's employment status was very negatively infected or affected, not infected, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> affected by this potential pandemic that, you know, was happening. Like it's people, not potential pandemic, it was a pandemic, but potential, you know, closures to their business were very real, like especially for, you know, service industry and things like that, like restaurants and whatnot, where 
they rely on people coming in. They're not allowed to have people in. So you know, what do you do? Do you just lay off? Like if you're a successful restaurant that has like a big staff, like 30 people, whatever in the space to pay for, well, those 30 people need to, those are people that are relying on you for money. Mm-hmm. So like, what do you do? You know, and the, for people to, for some guy to do this with like just a Pokemon card, it slaps all those people in the face. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, an entirely selfish thing to do. And if you are out there hearing the story and wondering, well, what card did he buy? Unfortunately, that information was not provided by U.S. federal prosecutors. So we don't know what he used the $57,789 of the $85,000 loan he was given. We don't know what card he actually bought. Yeah. And I think not disclosing it is the right thing to do on the prosecutor and or on the federal government's part, because really, it doesn't matter. No, it does not. It honestly doesn't matter what card this is. Like, you don't want to further fuel speculation into what what certain Pokemon cards might be worth or whatever, <laughs> just because of stupid nonsense done by idiots like this. And if anything, uh, if they did disclose the card, that's uh, another element of backstory to that card, which yeah. would drive up the uh, value even further. Yeah. So, nope. So, yeah, let that uh, be a lesson. Uh, federal governments, they will eventually find out if you're spending their money on stupid things. Yeah, exactly. Like, you are not uh, using it to cover actual business expenses and instead are buying goddamn Pokemon cards. Because you think the mar- market is so hot that you just got to get in, get one, and that's going to be your get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah. They'll find out. Yeah. They always do. Yeah. But, uh, again, speaking of get-rich-quick schemes, I did mention earlier that we weren't going to be ranting on and on about NFTs, but I kind of lied. <laughs> we, we're bringing up NFTs again. This time, it's not to, you know, talk about people making gobs of money off of it. Thankfully, this time, we're talking about someone who's kind of pointing out the ridiculousness of what NFTs actually are, which, you know, I'm, I'm glad that more people are doing because they are, they're ridiculous. Like, there's no point to them. They're just basically like an insane fantasy thing that just exists on the internet. It's basically art. It's, it's engineered scarcity for the point of having engineered scarcity for something. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there was a website that appeared online whose express purpose was hosting a nearly 20 terabyte torrent um, containing every single NFT available through the Ethereum and Solana blockchains. So the files that every single NFT were is now in this one torrent that anyone can download. Uh, the site's name is the NFT Bay, which is clearly a you know, uh, a throwback to the old Pirate Bay. Ah, that's going way back. <laughs> it's going back, yes. That's going back like almost 15, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, Which Pirate Bay still still functioning? Yeah, I mean, it's not in the same glory days that it was once at, but, you know, it, it, if you were ever someone who's into torrenting, downloading things illegally, whatever, at that, at some point in your life, you've probably come across the Pirate Bay. I mean, it was kind of a ubiquitous thing for a while. Uh, but yes, this NFT bay, uh, is the work of a man named Jeffrey Huntley, who is an Australian software developer and a DevOps engineer. Uh, in a frequently asked questions document about this website, Huntley has described this site as what he's calling an educational art project designed to teach the public about what NFTs actually are and aren't in hopes that fewer folks will get swindled by, you know, 
frankly, the majority of the people who use NFTs who are just like confidence artists, you know, just con men, snake oil salesmen, grifters, grifters, you know, uh, and he, uh, the quote here from this page uh, here from uh, Huntley is, uh, and I quote, fundamentally, I hope people learn to understand what people are buying when purchasing NFT art right now is nothing more than directions on how to access or download an image. The image is not stored on the blockchain, and the majority of images I've seen are hosted on Web 2.0 storage, which is likely to end up as a 404, meaning the NFT will have even less value. Uh, his main inspiration for the NFT bay was Pauline Pantsdown, which is the drag persona of Australian satirist Simon Hunt, who in the past parodied controversial politician Pauline Hansen due to Hansen's right-wing policies. You know, it's, uh, so there's a lot of like deep Australian, uh, social commentary and stuff that I think is going to be lost on the rest of us mm-hmm. and the rest of the world who don't really know about all this stuff. But, uh, yeah, uh, I appreciate this because, you know, I've, I've seen, I don't know if it was a real, thing or not, but there was someone, there was a, a, something that went minorly viral on the internet that was basically a screen cap of someone who was, I'm just, I'm just going to refer to them as an NFT or a crypto bro who was some higher up with some sort of like NFT firm, some collective kind of like the, those smoking chimpanzees or whatever they were, the, the, Oh, the board the board club. Yeah. So something like that where they were someone who was an NFT person as well. Except they posted some sort of thing where it was just like, oh, Twitter has uh, distributed my NFT. Or like it was someone basically being like, that NFT you made as your uh, profile picture, I right-clicked and saved. And then their tweet in response was like, at Twitter, why are you distributing my NFT without my consent kind of thing? And it's just like, it was played off like a joke, but there was enough of like the tone of it was like, do you not actually know what an NFT is? Like, what do you, what's your complaint here? <laughs> like you uploaded an image to a website that lets you upload an image and it went out in the way that all the other images went out. Like, <laughs> so it's like, do people, I think there is this weird misconception that people seem to have where, you know, if you buy an NFT, only you're the person who's allowed to look mm-hmm. at that. NFT, but that's not how the internet works. No, once uh, an image is online, it's pretty much on there forever. In in some corner uh, that uh, is often accessible and can be viewed by pretty much anybody. And because it's not a physical thing, like files are ephemeral and you're requesting a copy of a file whenever you're dialing up a website from a web browser. Like when you're making a web request to a website, when you go to Facebook, and you're browsing, you know, all your friends' photos or whatever there, or you go to Instagram or anything like that, like, those images are being served up from a server, and then your web browser is opening them up. So, like, the copy of them that exists now is a digital copy. Like, it's it's the same ones and zeros, if you were, that went over the wire to you that might go over to your friend who's also viewing the photo on Facebook. So you two end up with the same photo, but they're two different files. Mm-hmm. Like files are decentralized in that way. And then that, which is why I can right click and save as, or take a screenshot or whatever and save it on my local computer or my local phone or whatever else, whatever device I'm looking at it on. 
basically unrestrictedly. And that's how the internet's always worked. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a new thing. So if you're kind of complaining about this and you're wondering, well, what did I spend money on? My answer is exactly. What did you spend money on? Did, did you spend money on the ability to brag that you spent that much money? Like that is literally all it seems like it is, right? Like, you can't, I mean, you, in theory, could print off and frame some sort of NFT image that you, you purchased, but what would be the point? It's already been seen, it's everywhere on the internet, you're printing out a copy of that thing, but it's still going to exist online. Yeah. Images will continue to exist online as long as there's still an internet. Yeah, but even more fundamental than that, it's it's not even the concern that things are going to exist online. The concern I think that they have is like, I've bought this image. I'm the rightful owner of this art. No one else should be allowed to see it. It's like, no, but like, even if you like make it your Twitter profile photo and then try to like sue everyone who now has a copy of it on their internet, on, on their local cache for their web browser... You're an idiot because that's not how the internet works. That's not how Twitter works. When you upload something onto Twitter, for example, you by you trying to upload a photo that you own, in quotation marks, <laughs> and then anyone who you show up in their feed now has it and you're trying to sue anyone, like that's basically like trying to just entrap someone. Like that doesn't make any sense. That's not how it works. You can't do that. And uh, some people don't understand these facets of the internet. No. Like, it's insane. I mean, tangentially, I've I've had discussions with some younger people before where, you know, I asked them about, like, it's like, oh, well, where's that photo? Oh, it's it's on my Facebook or it's in my Instagram. Okay, well, is it on your phone? Well, yeah, it's on my phone. It's on my Facebook. No, it's... Not on your phone though. It's, it's in Facebook still. Like, where's your local copy? Oh well, I it's the local copy's right here. I open up the Facebook app and <laughs> go to my photos, and there it is. No, but like that's on Facebook. There's like this weird like because everything has now been abstracted away through apps and stuff. People don't actually understand how computers work anymore. That's I imagine so. Yeah, and it's weird. Just put so much trust in the apps and, and, and uh, the technology services that uh, you don't, you yourself don't really need to know what's happening. You just need to know how to make things work, and that's it. And the apps will take care of the rest. Yeah, which is like fair enough, but like in a way, like as you know, when people talk about like these digital native children and stuff that are, you know, have grown up with this technology and stuff, being like, oh, they're so much smarter and stuff. I don't know if that's the case because at least when we were growing up, everything was a lot more do it yourself. And like, because there was no, you know, simple apps and stuff, like everything was either an application you had to install off of a disc somewhere on the internet. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you were installing, you had to be keenly aware of how much hard drive space you had left and what the file path was and where to get, where to call up the program again when you were installing it. And if, to run it, like for games and stuff, for example, like a lot of that seems like it's gone now with all of this ease of use that people seem to have. Like, is computer literacy also at an all-time low? 
I wonder how well so much of the computing experience now is done on a smart device. Yeah. Which is literally just point touch and stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, there's less actual I think interaction with it by the removal of the mouse and the keyboard and having to type and click and actually take the time to go around, you know, click on this, open that, find your, you know, open file explorer, look for this, that, the other thing. Oh, that image isn't where I thought it was. Okay, I'll look back over here, do a search, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that's inherent to, that comes with the ease of use of everything. Yeah. So it's, everything's easy. So people just become blase about knowing things because they don't need to know things. Yeah. And I'm, I think my main point is I'm just kind of like, I'm wondering aloud. I'm just kind of like positing things aloud. Is the popularity of NFTs directly related to this lack of understanding of like fundamental understanding of technology now? It's a good question. Yeah. And how much of that feeds into the, uh, uh, the rise of NFTs so far this year? And how much is of the NFTs are really just going, uh, uh, are uh, tech bros looking for their next get rich quick scheme? Yeah, seeing that one or, there were one or two big successes uh, of NFTs, so everyone just floods into the market to try and make their quick buck and, and then get the hell out and whatnot. Probably same as crypto coin too. Yeah, you know there are some you know th- there's Bitcoin, there's Ethereum as the big ones, and then everyone just kind of rushes in to get their slice of the pie as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting interesting fact, yeah. Uh, but uh, credit to Jeffrey Huntley of Australia for collecting every piece of uh, NFT art there is available on uh, Ethereum and uh, uh, Solana blockchains, and just putting it all in. Uh, I'd imagine he put it all. If he didn't put it all into that one twenty ter- uh, terabyte torrent, then someone did, and he just made the website repository for it. The NFT bay. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like he did, though. Like, if he's a software developer slash DevOps person, he probably, part of this whole thing was probably him devising a script to actually go through the blockchain and scrape all the URLs and everything. But he also makes a very interesting point where if the blockchain is just storing an internet address to a file, if that file disappears, the thing that the blockchain address is pointing at is worthless. Mm-hmm. So if you've made a JPEG, like let's say these these bored apes, you know, if I bought one of them for some insane amount of Ethereum, like I saw some of them going for like four Ethereum, which is like you know, an Ethereum coin is like two thousand dollars USD at this point. So that's like an eight thousand dollar image. If the whole blockchain is just tied to this one URL on the OpenSea platform platform. And then the OpenSea platform disappears one day. You spent eight thousand dollars on a four hundred four. Yeah, I guess so. And then even if you did the say a right click save as and saved that image onto your local hard drive and had your local copy, yeah, it's not the same. Nope, doesn't matter because the blockchain blockchain is not pointing to that one. Yeah. And, and you could argue, oh, the MD five checksum of the file is what matters. No, the MD5 checksum of the file that I download is going to be the same that you download. That's what makes it the same file, and that's what makes our computers able to load it as the same image. Mm-hmm. So, again, lack of fundamental understanding of what you're actually buying. Like, it, like you're literally just buying a receipt that says I bought a thing. 
that's all you're buying. You're buying a, a like a verified piece of paper by, pe- by people that verify. Yep, mm-hmm. this verifies that you paid money for a thing. That's the thing you're buying. You're not buying the thing because there is no thing. <laughs> it's it's this like ephemeral thing. Like it like unlike buying an actual piece of art, for example, like. I'm not even going to bother getting into like, you know, the art trade because the art trade in and of itself for hundreds of years has been a very like popular way of, you know, laundering money, like real art, physical art, Picassos and stuff, even not Picassos, even just like cheap BS nonsense art have been sold for crazy amounts of money because that's drug dealers and stuff trying to get rid of crazy amounts of money to exchange hands through a legitimate looking Mm -hmm. means of, oh, it was an art sale. Oh, okay. Great. Even without getting into that, like, at least they're buying a physical thing and there's provenance there. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, (laughs) this did belong to this person after this person painted it and gave it to this person, like a Van Gogh, like, like there's, he painted a thing, sold it to people. There's like a chain of like, you can trace back. I mean, yeah, the blockchain is like all of that hard work that you have to do to trace the provenance done for you immediately. Mm-hmm. But like, it's a physical thing. So like, there's still also art experts who can analyze a thing and see if it's legitimate or not, just based on how brush strokes are done and like the carbon dating of like paint to see how, how old the paint is and things like that. But it's a physical thing. Mm-hmm. So like, there actually is that thing where like, I'm holding this, well, you wouldn't hold it in your hands, obviously, no. but I'm, I'm looking at this thing that's mounted behind glass now in a temperature controlled room. That's the thing that's worth money. That, that, that physical thing right there. That's what I paid for. Yeah. There's no other ones in the world that are it. That, like, he might have painted five paintings of the same guy, but that's that version of it. That's the only one of that that exists. Mm-hmm. It's not a print. It's nothing like that. That's it. Whereas NFTs are like, they're just a digital file that anyone can copy and have. Nothing unique about it. It may be a unique uh, uh, generation of a script at that point uh, of what was spit out by by the, the random image generator. Yeah, but again, like we've said before, anyone can go right click save as, mm-hmm. and they have that image. They may not have the blockchain blockchain. Why that's hard to say. I don't know today. A blockchain pointing to it. They may not have the cachet as being able to say and let the world know that they are the ones who paid X amount of, of crypto coin for that thing, but uh, you'll still have the the you know artwork itself or a copy of the artwork itself, I should say. Yeah. So, what's the big deal? We still don't know, but hey, you can uh, go get a whole lot of not big deals for yourself on the NFT bay. Twenty yeah. terabytes. Make sure you uh, make some storage. Yeah. But those are the ludicrous lead-offs we have to talk about this week. Uh, those were the two items, again, that were an extra special kind of special. But let's move on into the actual meat and potatoes gaming news portion of this program. And we'll start actually talking about a video game, a new video game that was announced this week that uh, uh, looks interesting, but for a variety of different reasons, and it's Bandai Namco taking one of the franchises, the game franchises that uh, uh, they've been stewards of for the last several years, and trying to do a really new, unique take on it. Yeah, so that franchise that they've been steward of is Dragon Ball. Uh, you know, Dragon Ball 
some people know it as Dragon Ball Z, whatever. There's been a million, there's been a lot of different shows, a lot of different movies, a lot of everything. The current one being Dragon Ball, uh, Kai? Yes, I think it's Kai. Uh, or whatever it is. There's, there is some Dragon Ball series going on right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Dragon Ball's been around for like 30 plus years. Like, I remember watching Dragon Ball when we were teenagers, like 12, 13 years old. They had Dragon Ball episodes on YTV. Mm-hmm. So those, that was when Dragon Ball Z was coming out. So like Dragon hey. Ball itself was before that. Yep. So yeah, it's been around for a long time. And you know, there have been a number of different Dragon Ball video games that have had varying degrees of success and have been varying degrees of good. The ones that people normally think of have like big epic set pieces and battles and stuff like that. I mean, like, yeah, uh, there's also been a number of Dragon Ball fighting games, but really what has traditionally been the big draw of Dragon Ball games is that you get to play as Goku, right? Absolutely. Goku, some of the other Z fighters, and just become become this really super-powered individual and engage in a fight, directly fighting, or some sort of action game element, uh, to save the world from alien threats. From alien, like, godlike alien threats, right? Yeah, yep. Like, extinction-level events caused by crazy fighters like, you know, Frieza or Cell or, you know, various other... <laughs> Majin Buu. Majin Buu, like, the, the you know... If you if, if this is all entirely foreign to you and you've never seen Dragon Ball, we're sorry. We're talking about Dragon Ball for a few minutes. I mean, I've watched all of Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT. That's impressive. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, Drag- DBZ is not all good. No, it's definitely not. It's not all. <laughs> that is an understatement, my friend. <laughs> I mean, I haven't really kept up with the new one. DB Super, Dragon Ball Super is what the new series is called. Wasn't that a con- just a condensed version of Dragon Ball Z? Dragon Ball Kai was the ah, condensed version it. of Dragon Ball Z. Okay. Dragon Ball Super is the new one with, like, you know, Beerus and all that. I've watched a few episodes of it. It's okay. But anyways, there's a lot in that whole realm to absorb and, like, lots of characters and stuff. And, you know, this new game... Doesn't seem like it's drawing on a lot of that. No. So this new game is called Dragon Ball The Breakers, and it's an asymmetrical multiplayer game where there's going to be one or there's going to be seven players in the stage, in a level, in a round, whatever the case might be, how it's classified, don't know. But those people will be regular townsfolk people who have to uh, run, hide, and uh, otherwise survive the Raider, uh, as they are termed, basically the one big bad enemy who's in town, you're one of those godlike alien creatures who's come to Earth and is going to just destroy everything. Yeah. So one player, one individual will be one of those big bad alien threats. Could be Cell, Frieza, Majin Buu, I'm sure there will be others added later on. The announcement trailer specifically showed Cell in a couple of different forms. I think three, all three of his forms. Yes, that's right, too. Yeah. Yeah, because he starts off looking very alien insect-like when he first comes. Yeah, kind of insect, or like a weird mix between, like, an insect, a lizard, and a bird with, like, a weird kind of beak. And mm-hmm. then then he, you know, becomes more human-like 
still with a weird face, but then eventually he's like the big buff, kind of almost human with just wearing a goofy hat, <laughs> big muscular guy with a green skin and a hat. Yeah, like some ridiculous oversized Pope hat or something. Yeah. A green Pope hat. Uh, but yeah, one player gets to play as that and have all the fun basically going to destroy all the townsfolk people, while the other seven people who are stuck as the, playing as the townsfolk have to basically survive, run, hide, and or get to, uh, basically a timeship, uh, that I think is done by the Capsule Corp, and yeah. that will get you out of there to safety to a different point in time. Yeah. So it's an interesting idea. Um, it's it's too bad that, you know, the only recognizable one of the survivors seems to be Oolong, you know, the pig who hangs around, who, who was at one point one of the villains in Dragon Ball, but mm-hmm. very quickly was outstripped by, you know, or outclassed by Goku as a child, like, very shortly into the original series of Dragon Ball. So, like... And then eventually joined up with Goku and Bulma on their journey. Yep. And then, yeah, now is kind of relegated to one of, like, the people who are, like, I want to say in retirement, just to hang around with, you know, Master Roshi Mm -hmm. on Turtle Hermit Island Mm -hmm. at the Kame House there, (laughs) you know, along with, like, Chaozu and, you know, uh, Yajirobe, not not Yajirobe, but, yeah, Krillin and Android 18 and, you know, uh, uh, Yamcha was the other one I'm Yamcha, thinking of. Yamcha, yeah. Yeah. So, like, basically, people who are strong fighters in, in their own right, but, like, don't hold a candle to, like, <laughs> you know, any of the Super Saiyans or, like, Vegeta, like, you know, Piccolo, like, Tian Shin Man or anything, Chin Han or anything like that. So, like, anyways. You're going <laughs> see, deep in the weeds. Yeah, d- deep in the weeds. I don't want to, you know, turn this into, like, you know, Patton Oswalt's filibuster from Parks and Rec where he just rants on about Dragon <laughs> about uh X-Men. Uh, it, was for it him I, I think it was actually Star Wars. Oh that's right, it was Star Wars. Anyways, whatever the case. <laughs> yeah, I've I've watched a lot of Dragon Ball. I know a lot of the stupid lore and there's crap in my head that I don't need there, but you know that that's what happens when you're an aging nerd and <laughs> your your head gets filled with nonsense that you don't need and then you're just like, well whatever, who cares? It's <laughs> there, whatever. So it's a bit of a shame that, you know, the only recognizable character you get to play as is Oolong. But at the very least, when you're on the other side, when you're wreaking havoc, you get a choice of either Cell, Boo, or Frieza. And that should be fun. That should be fun. I mean, like, those are all godlike, overpowered, ridiculous characters when they're, they've all reached their final form. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, could be fun. I mean, I, I, I'm curious. I'm intrigued. So at least one person is going to have fun per round. <laughs> yes. Uh, they will be the one who gets to play as the alien god destroyer of that land at that moment in that round. I uh, don't know if there's uh, what level of destructible environments there's going to be, but apparently the survivors uh, will have things like custom- customi- customizable skill trees, weapons, grappling hooks, uh, vehicles, etc., etc. Again, the time machine is the super time machine. It's done by a capsule corp. That will get, just get you the hell out of there. Uh, Oolong is depicted in the trailer as having a rocket launcher that he can use, which against these big gods it is pretty useless. Yeah. Yeah, it, it conventional weapons do not hurt gods. No, they they really don't. I mean, these are <laughs> these are like characters who can basically just destroy a building by punching it and that, or like 
I guess in the case of like Frieza or, or in the case of Vegeta and Goku when they fight, they knock each other into mountains and cause mountains to crumble. Like, <laughs> like a gun doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, like the, the destructive power of a gun is nothing compared to the destructive power of, you know, Goku sneezing. <laughs> like it's, it's bananas. So I am curious what, like if this game is literally just like a hide for seven minutes and then escape, if that's all the survivors can do, is that it? Like what's, I still do need more information before I want to put any real time into this because as it stands, it doesn't look super fun to be a survivor. It would be fun to be the person hunting people down, but like it's just a game of hide and seek at that point, right? Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely is. So, uh, it, more work is still to be done on it as this game is currently planned for release sometime in 2022, uh, set for release on the PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Uh, might also be playable later on down the line for the next gen slash new gen consoles like PS5 and Xbox Series X. Uh, a closed beta test is currently planned for PC with more details on that coming at a later date. And Bandai Namco has said that this game, uh, Dragon Ball The Breakers, is a part of the Dragon Ball Xenoverse universe and will include some sort of tie-in to save data you might have from Dragon Ball Xenover- Xenoverse 2 for those who have it and play it. I mean, yeah, I, I, had, sure. I had the first Xenoverse. It was an enjoyable game to a degree. Uh, but that's a very odd thing to say. Like, it's part of the Xenoverse universe. Isn't that part of the Dragon Ball universe? You'd think. Isn't that already a universe in, unto itself? So so what is going to be the tie-in? You know, uh, the fighters from that game will appear? Oh, this crazy character called Goku might show up. <laughs> he might come and save everyone who's being hunted at this particular point in time. He, <laughs> How will he do it? He will fight. Cell or Boo or Frieza at that moment. Yeah. He might use a spirit bomb. (gasps) (laughs) But probably not because it takes too much time to charge up and it's a super impractical. Anyways. Yeah. (laughs) I think he might need uh, more, more energy and more life force than what just the seven, you know, survivors on the map can provide at that point. Yeah. That, that's more just a cap gun. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> level of effectiveness. So, Dragon Ball The Breakers, I get Bandai Namco's idea to try and uh, use the band or use the Dragon Ball franchise and do something different with it rather than just big, uh, go-ahead, full steam-ahead, smashing action fighting game, because that's kind of been done. But this feels like they were so focused on doing something different that they kind of veered off the road and went into a snowbank. Yeah, like... You lost sight of what you have a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, is effectively a game of hide and seek what you want to use the Dragon Ball license for? Is that it? It, 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 it? To my mind, it wouldn't be, but uh, other higher ups uh, uh, on the food chain at Bandai Namco seem to have different ideas. Okay, good for them. They're making more money than me to make these decisions, and they will. Where are the successes and the failures? Fair enough. I mean, with all this, you know, development of, you know, the the popularization of the Battle Royale genre in the last, like, five, ten years, and you'd think that that combined with the number of characters purely available from the well to draw from mm-hmm. in the Dragon Ball universe 
maybe that would be a better way to go. You know, choose your fighter. Well, you want to be Goku, you want to be Yamcha, you want to be whoever. Like, I mean, you know, all things considered, like, you know, there are tier lists and stuff available, but if you balance it out in such a way that, like, anyone could be a conceivable fighter or whatever, wouldn't Battle Royale maybe be a better genre for this? Uh, it certainly would be. You'd be making more use of characters that are uh, better well-known by the people and the fan base uh, rather than generic townspeople. Plus Oolong and possibly also Bulma. Yeah. Maybe Chi Chi? <laughs> yeah. Who I knows? don't know. Who knows? Mr. Satan? <laughs> I, I don't know. Sorry, Hercule? Hercule Satan? <laughs> What's this? Mr. Satan! <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> Dragon Ball the Breakers, it's, it's a unique idea. I don't know uh, if it will quite make it onto this next list we're going to talk about because earlier this week the nominees were announced for... All the categories of this year's Game Awards, the Jeff Keighley event that is returning with an in-person event in December. Uh, they're doing the full awards award show presentation. You know, people come up, make speeches, there's bands, a whole crap done. I think they've said something like 30 to 40 game reveals or games being shown off during the event. So it's a big to-do returning to its uh, pre-pandemic uh, tour de force. Uh, we are not going to go through every category because... To be quite honest, there are way too many goddamn categories. Like, yeah. there's at least five or six different ones about esports and uh, content creators and esports specific streamers and things like that. And- yeah, and events, and it's it's just a whole lot, and it gets a little unwieldy. So we're just gonna chop down the list. We're only focus on like three or four categories that seem the most interesting, the most uh, pertinent, and uh, ones that perhaps stand out to us. Yeah. So the the first one I think I want to talk about, it's not the game of the year. It's not the biggest technical achievement. It's nothing like that. It's the one for some reason. It, it's, it's sort of like a thing that bothers me about these awards. I mean, at the end of the day, the game awards is basically meant to be, a you know, it's an ad for the games industry. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, it's meant to sell products. It's not meant to actually really... Like, yeah, you do laud and fet things that are, you know, worthy of praise to a degree, but that's not the sole focus of it. No. It never really has been. And It's <laughs> a giant infomercial. Yeah, it's a huge infomercial getting you to get hyped for new games or games you haven't played yet at the end of the day. So the one that, like, seems the most unnecessary to me of the, you know, of the various categories is most anticipated game. <laughs> mhm. Because it's it's just a game. It's just literally like the hype award <laughs> which could have been pulled from anywhere. Like is it actual internet hype or is it just the company that paid to get themselves look like they're the most hyped? Uh, a fair question and a question that has been asked about this type of award since it first started being handed out by the Spike TV Video Game Awards, like, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, but there's... It gets more ridiculous than that, because of the nominees this year, one of the games doesn't even have a title. 
So would you like to go through the nominees for this list, uh, on this list for most anticipate, most anticipated award, which according to the official, uh, I guess, uh, explanation of the award from the Game Awards website, uh, the most anticipated game award is for recognizing an announced game that has demonstrably illustrated potential to push the gaming medium forward. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that description is BS. <laughs> At the end of the day, it, it's not like these are just games. I mean, like, anyways, we don't need to get into the philosophical implications of what pushing the entire medium of games forward means. But the nominees for this are Elden Ring, which, yeah, another FromSoft game from mm-hmm. what I recall. They always make good, challenging games. God of War Ragnarok. Sure. Looks like it'll be a good, like, Good follow-up. Good worthy follow-up. sequel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Horizon Forbidden West. F- Horizon Forbidden West, you know, sequel to the critically acclaimed Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sure, makes sense. Uh, Starfield. Yeah, there's a lot of hype around that new Bethesda title. Certainly. It, yeah. It, you know, Bethesda taking to space. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, sure. Um, but then... <laughs> The last one is just literally written out as the sequel to the Legend of the, Z- the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. <laughs> so they're basically just saying whatever the next Zelda game is going to be. Because even in Nintendo's showing off of clips from the next uh, uh, Breath of the Wild game, they have not titled it. They have only and explicitly referred to it as uh, the sequel to the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Yeah, so you can't call it Breath of the Wild 2. You can't call it anything, really, because it's like... And even when they say it's the sequel, is it really a sequel? Like, are any Zelda games really sequels to each other in that regard? Uh, Nintendo doesn't really do direct sequels. The the Zelda franchise has always kind of jumped around. Yeah, I mean, like, there's an implied timeline they talk about, and, like, there's that whole Hyrule... um What's it called again? The companion book that they released? Yes, the, yes. The Hyrule Encyclopedia or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But the fact that it's just an unnamed game is up for an award is bananas. Like, what is that? In a supposedly major category, too. Yeah. Most anticipated game. Uh, that one that Joe's working on. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> okay, great. Like, these are some other big games that are uh, nominated for Most Anticipated Game alongside the sequel to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Starfield. Again, Bethesda pouring a lot of money into that. Horizon Forbidden West, Sony pouring a bunch of money into that. Yeah. Uh, Sony also pouring a bunch of money into God of War Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure FromSoft pouring a bunch of Sony's money into Elden Ring. Yeah. So, so a lot of money to be had in these games, which have proper titles, and then sequel to Legend of Zelda: The Breath of the Wild, which I'm sure Nintendo is pouring a lot of money into. They've shown it off; gets a lot of people excited each time it's uh, shown off. The internet seems to uh, react favorably to it. There's a demand and a hype for it uh, whenever we've seen clips during the Nintendo Direct infomercials. But yeah, most anticipated game. I'm surprised this is still an award being handed out by Jeff Keighley and his attempt to make a more reputable video game award show. Yeah, because that removes any sort of reputability for me, personally. I mean, 
most most anticipated game. Like, what is that? It, the, these awards are by and large honoring achievements of things that have come to pass within the past twelve months, and then it's an award for, hey, you might be good, so we'll give you an award now. Yeah. It's like, hey, we've seen some people speculating about how good this game is going to be on the internet. Have an award. Like, that's... Really? If you're one of the developers, uh, or, you know, some company exec, uh, or whatever the case might be, and you're awarded, your game from this list is awarded most anticipated game, what do you say in your acceptance speech? Thanks, I think. And then what happens when... What happens if, like, it's like a cyberpunk situation where it's a super anticipated game, mm-hmm. it wins the award. Like, I'm not saying cyberpunk won the award, I don't actually remember, but super anticipated game, it wins this award. This I'm just going to call it a hypothetical award. Then the game duck comes out, and then everyone hates it. <laughs> like... What what was actually the point of that whole award at that point? It's a good question. That's a fair question. Yeah. I don't have an answer for you either. No, I don't think anyone does. It's a stupid award. <laughs> However, you know, there are more tangible awards that... Uh, yes. On the opposite end of the award spectrum. Yeah, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, there's three others that, you know, we're going to talk about. I think the big one, obviously, that people care the most about, as they do every year, is the Game of the Year. Game of the Year... Self-explanatory. It's the game that you know across the critics lists, across the best-selling, whatever. All these different metrics brings it up to you know this upper echelon of like these are the five best games that of the year through all these different measurable things. And those games that have been uh, nominated are Deathloop, It Takes Two, Metroid Dread, Psychonauts Two, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and Resident Evil Village. That's a solid list. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, all makes sense. I mean, I've heard very good things about all those games. I, I full, fully admit I haven't played any of them because, you know. Who is the time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, they're all, they all look like they're worthy of game of the year type, uh, awards. Uh, and then, you know, there's a little bit more granular awards from there. The the two interesting ones, I think, to us would have been the best narrative and the innovation in accessibility. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think those are both worth kind of talking about. Like, what makes them, you know, what makes a best narrative different than Game of the Year? Because, uh, yeah, like, a game, it's really just what game tells the best story. A game might tell an amazing story and still be a crap game. So I think it's good to kind of split it out that way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, might have the the most impassioned acting, some of the best script writing, but uh, gameplay wise, might be totally flawed, buggy as hell, whatever the case might be. But best narrative, defined by the Game Awards as an award for outstanding storytelling and narrative development in a game. Nominees are Death Loop, It Takes Two, Life is Strange, True Colors, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and Psychonauts Two. So interesting that uh, Psychonauts makes an appearance as well. Yeah. Uh. And then, yeah, as I mentioned, the innovation and accessibility, which recognizes the software and or hardware that's pushing uh, the medium forward by adding features, technology, and content to help games be played and enjoyed by an even wider audience, you know, whether that means, you know, better ways to improve, like, 
maybe auditory processing problems or input issues surrounding, you know, controllers being not being able to be used by certain people and whatnot, things like that. Maybe. Hell, even uh, uh, the adjustments included uh, in a menu for uh, color display or something. Yeah, exactly. Like just for improving visual contrast for people who might have a hard time seeing things or well, well, things like that. So it's good to see that that's actually a category as well because, you know, video games should be enjoyed by more people if they can. Uh, and those games that have been pushing these boundaries are Far Cry 6, Forza Horizon 5, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, Ratchet and Clank Rift, Rift Apart, and The Veil Shadow of the Crown. So, there's a, there's some crossover between all of these, I mean, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, that anticipated game, I, I feel Gets that- every time. I feel that, like, that alone- and like some of the other like hype awards surrounding streamers and stuff, I know Jeff Keeley wants this thing to be legitimized, but as long as you have stuff like that in there, it's not going to fully be legitimate. Uh, and I don't know necessarily how legitimate something like the Game Awards could be when one of the main revenue sources for it is basically selling ad time, selling space to other game companies and development studios to go and show off their wares, to have world premieres, debuts of this game you've had in development under top secret conditions for however long, and, and yada, yada, yada. Like, he he goes almost hat in hand to the game development community. Yeah. And that's how he makes his money back. Yeah, which, I mean, that that's fair, as long as, like, you can also prove that you're maintaining a level of ob- objectivity Despite the fact that you're basically taking money from non-objective people, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess, like, uh, the, the same thing could be said about, like, the Oscars or, you know, Tony Awards or whatever else. And uh, all these other major, the Grammys, mm-hmm. like, the the various major awards that would go out. So, like, yeah. I don't know. I think this is kind of what happens when there's no singular uh, uh, industry organization to put on something like an award show, unlike, say, the Oscars. Yeah, which has, like, you know, the Academy or, like, you know, the Recording Academy for the Grammys, the Grammys yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, there's no, like, Games Academy. No, there's there's no singular standard, single uh, body, uh, you know, authorizing body or, or authoritative body to define the award show, what it should be, what it should involve, and yada yada, and so it becomes decentralized, and then things like this happen, so uh, it's in, it's an imperfect system, and I trust and I fully believe Jeff Keighley is trying to do the best he can. Oh, absolutely. Like, so, I mean, I don't doubt it, but come on, do you really need a hype train award, like the best, most anticipated game? Yeah, there's always going to be that one aspect where it's like, eh. It, it cheapens it. It do- kind of does. Yeah. But uh, let's move on talk about another new game announcement that came out this week. Perhaps this uh, is a game that will be nominated for next year's Game Awards. Um, not really a surprise because it had been leaked uh, several times in the previous uh, weeks uh, prior to its announcement uh, on Wednesday of this week. Uh, it being a new game from Warner Brothers Games that uh, really really digs into the Warner Brothers stable of characters, properties, franchises, and creates their own version of Smash Brothers. Yeah. And it's called Multiverses. It is literally a new Smash Brothers-like character fighting game that is being done and developed by Player First Games and Warner Brothers Games, and it is 
bringing together characters from the DC comics, from some of the animation properties, from some of the television, like live action television properties. Yeah. Like, the announced characters so far uh, that were I, shown off in the game I'm just is gonna, ridiculous. I'm just going to say the inclusion of one character in particular makes me wonder, what the hell are they doing with this game? <laughs> because it's all over the map. It is all over the map. In, in a crazier way, like, at least with Smash Brothers, the... Like, I mean, I don't know fully exactly what the conceit of the game is going to be. With Smash Brothers, there's, like, an element of, like, fun ridiculousness to it. And there's, like, a, you know, like, an an absurdity that Nintendo is, like, winking at you and always has been winking at you just to kind of, like, say, yeah, you're in on this absurdity. So it makes sense to bring in any character from anywhere. But, like, Smash Brothers also has, like, a, a cap on the level of violence. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's no blood, there's no, like, no one dies. It's, it's, everything exists in this cartoon bubble. And I'm sure they want to make that the case here as well, but the, the character list is weird so far. So far, the announced characters in this uh, Warner Brothers uh, multi- uh, franchise fighting multiverses, game. Multiverses, yep. Yeah, multiverses. Uh, characters announced are Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, representing DC Comics, along with Harley Quinn. Uh, there is also Bugs Bunny, the longtime uh, uh, Warner Brothers uh, animated mascot. There is Shaggy from the Scooby-Doo franchise. There is Finn the Dog and Jake the Human from Adventure Time. Uh, there is Steven Universe and Garnet from the show Steven Universe. There is... Tom and Jerry, further representing the Warner Brothers animated universe. There's a new original character in this, a a character named Rain Dog, that is a big green dog that is also part reindeer, that is an original creation just for this game. And I think the one character you've been fixated on this whole time as being out of goddamn left field is uh, Arya Stark. Uh, Arya Stark, Arya Stark. I speak as someone who's never watched an episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, that, that's that's fair enough. Arya Stark, who is being voiced by Maisie Williams. Yes, who is Arya Stark for the TV show. So, bit of a tone shift there, I'm just going to say. <laughs> I mean, Game of Thrones, an eight, a hard 18-plus HBO television show, <laughs> doesn't have a cartoon analog at all. Nope. Doesn't really fit in even with like this type of medium like it's not a video game it's not 3d animated i mean yeah, there are there's cg effects in the show and stuff but like generally it's a live action adult oriented television program like there's nudity and sex and people getting beheaded and like you see a guy's head get crushed by someone's bare hands at some point it's just it's it's a gruesome show <laughs> so you're telling me that you're going to put that character, you know, there's a whole other, like, I don't want to give anything away, like, if you're not familiar with Game of Thrones at all, but let's just say Arya Stark is a very interesting character who has, like, some very disturbing abilities, um, and who's done some pretty disturbing things in the show. So you're throwing that character in with Bugs Bunny? <laughs> <laughs> like what? 
and Shaggy. I mean, Shaggy makes more sense being in there than Arya Stark does. Everyone makes more sense in there than Arya Stark. Yeah, even Batman. I mean, the the DC Universe, like, yeah, okay, fine. Like, Wonder Woman and Superman might be a little bit OP compared to Finn the Human, like, (laughs) but still, like, they're all based in, like, comics and cartoons, and, you know, there's an element of, like, okay, fine, this is just ridiculous and silly. Yeah, you can suspend your disbelief because they're all cartoon characters. Yeah, and they're all, like, the shows all at least have, like, a cap on the level of violence, but... When you get to, like, Arya Stark, holy crap, what are you bringing into this? Are there going to be full-on, like, brutal fatalities in this game? Uh, it hasn't been announced one way or the other. It seems unlikely, given the uh, the graphical, uh, the visual tone of the uh, trailer, which is a very light, very cartoony, um, very bright. Uh, the character models all, all kind of look like vinyl figurine-type characters. Right, but, like, of the characters in Game of Thrones, I don't think Arya Stark is the one that you want to use for that. Like, her <laughs> whole character arc is pretty dark. Like, someone made it. This is just who's been announced so far. You have to imagine there's going to be more characters announced at a later date. Uh, now, the other interesting thing is this is a going to be a free-to-play game, and it's going to be supported by in-game purchases with Warner Brother Games uh, yet to reveal just what exactly those purchases will entail. Um but I'd imagine there's some element of a season mode or a season-based uh, uh, version where you can just buy everything and get everything. Uh, so this game will also support cross-play and cross-progression uh, across the supported devices, those being the Xbox Series X and Series S, the Xbox One, PS4, PS5, and PC on Steam. And uh, it's not just the character models they're including. A lot of these uh, characters who've been announced so far will feature... Some, uh, some voice actor to them who actually has credibility and perhaps has voiced the character previously. Yeah. Uh, like we said, Arya Stark is being voiced by Maisie Williams. Batman, right off the hop, is being voiced by Kevin Conroy, who's been voicing the character of Batman since the 90s animated series. Yeah. I mean, Harley Quinn is also Tara Strong, who's been Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn before on things as well. Same thing with like, you know, John DiMaggio is making an appearance as Jake the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Shada is also Finn the human. So like, those are the real voices of these characters. That's true. Uh, Eric Bauza is doing the voice of Tom and Jerry, but also the voice of Bugs Bunny. And he's the current day voice of Bugs Bunny for Anything Looney Tunes related, anything Warner Brothers, uh, appearing in Space Jam as well. And actually, he's from Toronto. He's a Canadian. Yeah. I only uh, came to know, learn that uh, earlier this year. Well, good for him. Yeah, uh, making good. But uh, even the character of Shaggy, voiced by Matthew Lillard, who uh, has been doing the voice of uh, Shaggy for several cartoon iterations, and actually starred as Shaggy in the... Late 90s, early 2000s, yeah, early 2000s live action adaptations of uh, of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, which, you know, in terms of all the characters, I thought he was maybe the only one that was a good casting call. Mm-hmm. So it's good that, like, he's maintained that, you know, he's been able to keep being shaggy. Yeah, so he, good he's for made him. a career out of it. Yeah. So good for him. Um <laughs> Uh, if you followed Steven Universe at all, uh, Estelle, who did the voice of Garnet on the show, back voicing Garnet in this game, although Steven Universe, different voice actor than on the show. 
than mm. uh, than what there is in the game. So, but even still, uh, a whole lot of you know authentic uh, previous uh, voice actors reprising their roles here, and uh, yeah, uh, so it's an interesting idea that uh, uh, Warner Brothers has here. Uh, this is not the first time we've seen a company or, or really, uh, an entertainment holder or entertainment rights holder try to copy the same format as Smash Brothers. No, it's not. Uh, we saw it earlier this year with the release of the Nickelodeon, uh, Smash Brothers clone. I think it's Nickelodeon Brawl. Brawl, or, yes. Nickelodeon something, All-Stars Brawl or something like something that. Something like that, yes. Basically Nickelodeon Smash Brothers. Yeah. And then Sony also had their that was the Sony All-Stars brawl yes. from a few years ago as well, where they had like various PlayStation characters all kind of together in their own Smash Brothers type thing. Like, like I recall Nathan Drake and like... uh Wasn't Kratos in there? I think Kratos was in there. I want to say Ratchet and Clank as well. Uh That one wasn't very successful. Nope, because there's only been the one to, the, to date so far. Yeah. But like I think the thing with most of these games is that like they try and they f- somehow fail to capture the same things that make Smash Brothers able to be successful. And I don't I don't know exactly what that secret button is that Nintendo is able to press, mm-hmm. but it seems like no other company is able to press that button without well, criticism from people like me who are just like, "Why is Arya Stark there? That doesn't make any sense." But then, like, you think back, it's like, oh, Solid Snake was in, you know, one of the Smash Brothers games as well. Mm-hmm. But then there's, like, a little part of my brain where you're like, no, but that still tracks. That could still work. <laughs> Why? Why does that work and Arya Stark's not going to work? Uh, I think it uh, just might be all perception of the original Source characters. You know, it, Solid Snake might make sense well because he's already from a video game universe. That is how you know him. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the other video game characters co- who appear in the Smash Brothers game, you know, from whatever other franchise, be it a Final Fantasy franchise, be it Pac-Man, be it Sonic the Hedgehog, be it, uh, you know, anyone from the uh, Fire Emblem games, all 12 sword fighters they have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but the whole bunch of them, well, they're already cartoony uh, video game characters. There's no reality base to them already. And if... If Warner Brothers just kept this as like the uh, the cartoony versions of fictional characters, sure. But including Arya Stark is an intriguing one that uh, raises questions of what other Game of Thrones characters are going to appear, and also what other just live action characters might appear in this cartoon fighting game. Yeah, and what are like the like what's the per- how is this character going to be presented? Is my main question mm-hmm. because like the character of Arya Stark is very dark and tragic and weird. Are they just going to gloss over a whole bunch of her backstory and not present it? Uh, I mean, I'd imagine there's some sort of character bio they'll have to write at some point. Yeah. Like how will they, exp- well, I, I don't want to get into some of like the real like messed up stuff that the character does, but <laughs> let's just say it's a lot. Darker than any, like, you know, pranks Bugs Bunny might have pulled on Yosemite Sam. <laughs> or whoever, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, huh. 
very interesting. Very interesting. So the other thought I had uh, when this game came out, and I was looking over this roster of, uh, you know, mostly cartoon characters, but the one included uh, cartoon adaptation of a live-action character. My thought kind of went to, I guess I must have been talking about wrestling prior to that point, but... On this show, I've mentioned previously that the new hotness in the wrestling world is AEW. Yeah. All Elite Wrestling with uh, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, uh, and now a whole bunch of other uh, very talented wrestlers. And also a few classics from the WWE. Yeah, exactly. CM Punk, uh, Brian Danielson. Um, Sting. Sting. Sting is in there as well. Uh He's there as a manager. Yeah, but he's still there. He is still there, certainly. I mean, yeah, he's too old to be, like, a wrestler at this point, but he's still, like, Sting makes appearance. Like He, he does make appearances. So my thought was, AEW has a good uh, relationship with its broadcast uh, partner in the States, Turner Network Television, and also uh, TBS, the Turner Broadcast System. So they are part of the Warner family. They are not owned specifically by Warner Brothers, but they they are on, you know, the Warner... In the Warner family. Does this mean we're going to see, like, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho? I'm kind of wondering if we do. Uh, I know for certain that uh, in, uh, like, a special TV event last December and coming up this December, AEW had a, a special episode of their weekly show called, uh, it's normally called Dynamite, but they themed it and called it Winter is Coming with, like, the, the same font and, you know, the actual wordmark and a you know, whole Game bunch of Thrones, yeah. from Game of Thrones because... They could get the rights to it because that's also Warner Brothers. Yeah. And they're part of the Warner family, so eh, I wonder. I don't, I'm not saying anything. This is just where my brain went to. It could be nothing. I know AEW is working on their own video games, but if this is a thing and all you need is some character models... Can Kenny Omega get beaten up by Yakko, Wacko, and, and Dot? Fingers crossed. <laughs> Is that something that he would have wanted? Uh, certainly. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Just thoughts. Just thoughts. Uh, what other characters would you like to see in this Warner Brothers Multiverses uh, character fighting game? You can email us, info at thearcadeshow.com, or drop us a line on the social medias. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook, at The Arcade Show. Uh, speaking of fighting games, one last news item we'll get to this week uh, that uh, deals with fighting games and actually one of the most popular and also one of the least officially supported fighting games out there, Smash Brothers. Uh, news this week that Nintendo finally going to get into the world and allow... Uh, into the world of uh, fighting game tournaments and, uh, I guess, esports fighting game circuits and allow an official... Smash Brothers tournament to be done as the uh, the ancient game maker has announced a partnership with esports brand Panda Global to run a uh, Nintendo sanctioned, officially sanctioned tournament circuit for Smash Brothers Ultimate and Smash Brothers Melee, which is an old game. Yeah, that uh, I believe Smash Brothers Melee came out on the GameCube. Yeah, though I think from. I don't know much about the community, but from what I understand, that seems to be the one that people always go back to because of, like, responsiveness of controls and things like that, mm -hmm. which is very important to the fighting game community. Uh, but, yeah, that's the one that people – well, there's been melee tournaments for years. Uh, there have been, you know I, – I don't know the viability of the current Smash Brothers Brawl or anything like that, but, uh yeah. So, cool. but Nintendo finally allowing it after they have 
really actively fought against any sort of fan-organized event or anything basically done outside their purview for the better part of the last two decades. Yeah. Nintendo notoriously stingy with uh, allowing these sorts of things to happen. And, I mean, while there may have been uh, a presence of Smash Brothers at the Evo tournament for a couple of years, uh, I don't think there was this year, and I don't know how much there will, might be going forward. If there is this officially sanctioned Nintendo one, they might want that to be the one place where you get your Smash Brothers fighting tournament fixes. Yeah. Just saying. So... Uh, Panda Global will begin hosting tournaments for Smash Brothers in 2022. The circuit will feature a mix of in-person and online tournaments, as, again, the world's still adjusting to the new realities of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but yeah, no official announcement on the number of tournaments, where they will be, uh, prize money, if any, is involved. We don't know. But, uh, yeah. So, official Smash Brothers tournaments coming next year. Like, officially sanctioned, Nintendo is going to allow this instead of just suing and getting people to stop uh, whatever they're doing for unauthorized use of use of their properties. Yeah. Which, Nintendo, very much kind of like that old man telling people to, like, get off their yard anytime, you know, the kids in the neighborhood are playing ball or football or something. I think it's more like how Metallica was perceived when Napster first came out. You know, Metallica... When they were younger, they would do cover songs of other bands and slip them, you know, slip originals in where, you know, for more obscure bands and kind of did a little bit of a slightly underhanded thing where they, you know, tried to pass off Diamond Head songs as their own. They never recorded any Diamond Head songs, like, without crediting Diamond Head as the writers or anything like that. But, like, that was they did that. But then there was tape trading that would happen, you know, where basically, like, people would record a Metallica set and then make 200 copies and mail it off to their friends in return for other band sets and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, or demos and trading, things like that. So Metallica had this, like, you know, underground origin story, and then they get famous, and then as Napster becomes popular and people are just using that as the new way to get Metallica stuff without paying Metallica, them kind of... Not fully understanding initially, or I don't know if it's not fully understanding, as Lars Ulrich has later said in the intervening years, it was more about them not being able to sort of like control their message, which kind of also defeats the whole purpose of like the tape trading thing. It's like, it's the same as tape trading at the Mm. end of the day. I wonder how much of that was driven by their attorneys. Probably a lot. But yeah, that's, that's sort of like what it sounds like. It's like, People in control of things not understanding that the reason why the people are doing this is out of love, not out of malice and trying to make money off of Nintendo property mm-hmm. or anything. But yeah. Yeah, Nintendo's, uh, Nintendo's just an odd duck with that. Yeah, they certainly can be. Uh, they've been, uh, oddly stingy and the, the, f- there is a fan, uh, uh, a strong fan contingent. There's a strong community around Smash Brothers, uh, and the Smash Brothers games that they just want to play them as fighting game tournaments and determine who is the best of the best. Yeah. And finally they'll be able to start doing it next year. So good on Nintendo for finally allowing this. So, um, maybe just part of it was they didn't want to have to take on all the organizational effort and everything related to that and finally found a good partner who, uh, they could trust, really. That's, that's my guess. I don't know, but, uh, next year, Smash Brothers tournaments. Officially. Yeah. But, uh, 
you know, again, they'll be playing Smash Brothers Ultimate, but also Smash Brothers Melee, which is an old game, but, uh, we'll take some time now to speak about other old things. Uh, this is World War II Corner. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> kidding. Kidding. Yeah, yes. Kidding. It's actually Spoke Meat Corner, so, uh. Oh, sorry. Oh, I always get the segments confused. <laughs> Alright, yes, we're talking corned beef on uh, Smoke Meat Corner here. <laughs> yeah, I like to use a hickory over, you know, the course of 36 hours when really smoking a good, we're not actually doing this, no. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I'm sure there's other smoke meat podcasts. Oh, probably. <laughs> probably put together by Weber Grills or whatever, like some <laughs> actual company. Yeah, I'd imagine each grill company has their own podcast uh, uh, network. Of yeah, probably. Smokers and barbecue enthusiasts and whatnot, uh, butchers and bakers and candlestick makers yes. alike. So. And Weber Grills, if you're listening to this and like our podcast... Please send us a couple. You know, we we, we both uh, would like to up our grill game. Finger that was, guns. That was me doing finger guns. It didn't translate in this audio-only medium. So uh, shocking. Yes, shocking. And, so we need to up our uh, conveyance game of uh, <laughs> yes uh, of you know non-auditory cues as well as our grill game. Yes, uh, that's why we need the Weber grills. But uh, before then, uh, we are in the here and now. We will talk about some old things. We have one video game to talk about and. Two video game consoles to talk about. Uh, uh, one is the youngest of uh, Out of Everything, and I'm kind of thinking maybe we should start there. Yeah, because the other two go together in a kind of interesting they way. They do. They actually really do. So uh, the first item we talk about is a video game that was officially formally released for the PC on November 18th, 2011, or 2011. Say it however you will, but this game... Uh, at first glance, you might not think, well, how did this, uh, or at the time, you might have seen this game and thought, well, this will never really be a big anything. How could it be? I mean, look, the visuals, you know, they just look like Atari level, but uh, 3D Atari level graphics. How could this ever really amount to anything? Like, what's the point? You just go around, you you smash blocks? Uh, I don't, I don't get it. And that would be a fair question to ask at the time, but enough people saw that this game was something totally different and a bit of a maybe relaxing experience, a cathartic experience. It was uh, a low-stakes experience. It was Minecraft. Yeah. That is now 10 years old. Yeah, Minecraft, uh, when it first came across my radar, it was before it was officially released, and I'll admit I didn't fully get it when I first saw it. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the... In the years since then, uh, you know, I've played games that are kind of inspired by, or Minecraft itself I've played a bit of, and, you know, I I get it. It's it's more of like a, I think the big general appeal, there's two big general appeals to this game, I think. The first one is that it's kind of, can almost be seen as a meditative experience, mm-hmm. which, you know, wasn't super popular as a thing back then. I mean, like, we had Harvest Moon and stuff, but that wasn't really... It wasn't it, popular. It wasn't super mainstream, no. And, like, it, it really hadn't hit the mainstream in that regard of, like, having a game as just sort of, like, a more passive experience like this. But then when Minecraft came out, it just became this thing where people were like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, it's, it's fun because, like, you know, there's no super low stakes. I look what I, you know, I did this and this. And then the other aspect is the look what I built aspect mm-hmm. that you also get from Lego. Yes. You know, like, basically, like... Without any of like the, the 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 shitty cleanup that Lego always invariably involves, right? 
So, like, you get all these different pieces and, like, you know, the more you play at it, the more you can unlock, the more stuff is available to you to work with and you can do cooler and cooler shit, basically. So, yeah, there's this whole, like, well, I mean, to this day, there's tons of people who share interesting things that they're doing with Minecraft, be it, like, rudimentary, like, you know, art projects or things mm-hmm. like that where they're just basically importing pixel art in, on a massive scale that you can just kind of, like, go back, like, hundreds of feet and see, like, oh, that's actually I'm being rickrolled currently or something <laughs> to, like, people making video players and people making rudimentary computers that, you know... Working calculators have been made in Minecraft. Working computers have been made in Minecraft complete with an operating system, even though, like, you know, they operate at some banana slow frequency, but it's, like... I remember seeing at some point someone had made a NES emulator inside Minecraft. Mm-hmm. So like as a as a game like you know like yeah there there's stuff to do in the game but like it's broader than that because it's basically turned into this creative framework or a platform for just general creativity. I think it was the first big and first real popular sandbox. Yeah, of a gaming experience. That's probably fair to say. I mean, other than like, you know, some of the more obvious ones that are meant to be sandboxes, like a SimCity or something like that, mm-hmm. but this is basically a lot more open than that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, SimCity, you, you, there are things you have to do. You have to, uh, solve the pollution problem. You have to, uh, solve the con- traffic congestion problem. You have to, uh, adjust your tax rate, uh, recoup, uh, deal with and recover from natural disasters, blah, 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 blah. Um, this one is kind of just, you're plunked down and you ask yourself the question of what do you want to do today in Minecraft? It yeah. is a self-directed gaming experience. Yeah, which, with no stakes. Yeah, it wasn't really a thing before Minecraft to do that. And we've talked over the last 18 months about just the low stakes nature of, and appeal of something like Animal Crossing New Horizons. Yeah. Uh, this, this was low stakes. Yeah. Like, it literally was video game Legos. Yeah, I mean. To the, to the degree that everything was block based as well. Yeah, also to the degree that eventually Lego did team up and make Minecraft Lego, like there's, that's right. there's a Minecraft Lego set that exists. Yeah, that's right too. Which it really felt like the snake was eating its tail at that point. Yeah, like everything had definitely come full circle, and uh, we saw the logical conclusion almost. And you, I mean, this was a slow, steady build, but it was a, a steady enough build that um, Minecraft, Minecraft. Uh, and its parent company, Mojang, were eventually sold uh, to Microsoft for a tidy sum of $4 billion. Yeah. Like, Minecraft made Mojang a $4 well, billion dollar company. $2.5 billion. $2.5 billion? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they, Only $2.5 billion. Their valuation might be $4 billion at this point, yes. but Microsoft paid $2.5 billion, which made people scratch their heads in 2014, but at this point... Since Minecraft is still ever present in society, mm-hmm. who's laughing now, right? Uh, Mar- Marcus Notch person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> yeah. he was the creator of Minecraft, he yeah. doesn't really get spoken about a lot these days. Certainly in the gaming world, he's not. Uh, after the next big game, he's not developing anything to try and uh, succeed beyond what Minecraft has done. It, it sounds yeah. like he's kind of... He's also kind of said some controversial things here and there to the point where he's upset a large swath of the community that liked his game. So, 
Yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think he's content to just be on Twitter with his, what, billion dollars and just kind of like living in his big castle and doing whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And good for him, I guess. I, I mean, hey, if uh, that's life he can get away with, sure. I, I think all of us would take that too. Yeah. But uh, Minecraft, uh, 10 years old. Can you believe it's 10 years old? <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't feel like it is 10 years old. It doesn't feel like it's 10 years old. It feels like it's just one of those titles that kind of has always been around now. Yeah. But it's only 10 years old. But it feels like it should be older than that. But uh, thing, two things that are older than that are the uh, next uh, items on our Blast from the Past uh, list that we are going to talk about. One is a video game console that was released in 2006. Another is a video game console that was released in 2001. They were released by the same company, five years apart, which is actually a really short window between video game console releases. However, there was a very good motivation on the part of this company to have such a short window because the older of the two systems didn't really do that well. Yeah, so the two systems that we're talking about are the Nintendo GameCube and the Nintendo Wii. So the GameCube, it was a, it was a weird, I mean, with the GameCube, I think Nintendo, a lot of people had all but given up on Nintendo as being a major player in the video game space mm-hmm. because the N64 was a bit of a miss as well. Mm-hmm. You know, with their wacky controller design and all that, like insisting that they're sticking with the cartridge format, I think a lot of people saw Nintendo as like, oh, they're just like, what are they doing? Like they're kind of stuck in the past and like you know sticking it and being ardent about old ideas but uh, there's hey this new upstart uh, sony with this new playstation console i mean look what you can do with cd based media yeah like you can have like full motion video and you can have actual licensed soundtracks and things like that and like all these different things that are like you know cds have like hundreds of megabytes of space versus cartridges which you know, or just limited by whatever RAM is on board and like that's, or ROM is on board. Like, so I don't know, but so the GameCube came out with, you know, it was almost like two steps forward, one step to the side, right? <laughs> so, or, or like even a step back. So it's like, yeah, it's using a disc, but it's its own weird proprietary small disc and it spins backwards. So you can't even, like to produce it's weird and like that it's got its own, like it's got a weird limit on space and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like that's another kind of weird thing. And yeah, the controller is better than the N64 controller, but it's still strange. It's got these weird the shoulder handles, buttons. And, the handles felt just too short. Yeah. Like with the N64 controller, I think we spoke of last week, it, it was a weird controller, but those handles were really long. You know, really substantially long in your hand, even though there were three of them. Uh, Nintendo went kind of in the other direction and overcompensated with the GameCube controller with really nubby handles. Yeah. Like, really short, really nubby. There, there's kind of a, a perfect medium they didn't quite hit with that. Uh, and the design of the console itself was weird because it literally was a lunchbox. Yeah, like it had a handle on the back and everything, but uh, yeah, it... Uh yeah, I mean, like, I I won't say there there wasn't cool stuff done with the GameCube. Like, you know, the 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 Game Boy Player was an int- an interesting peripheral. I mean, it they had 
a modem that you could play Fantasy Star Online with. Mm -hmm. They had some games, but, like, the big problem for the GameCube was that, like, there wasn't that many games. Like, the library was just not there. Uh, No, and uh, there wasn't a substantive amount of third-party support. There were some Nintendo games, but, again, Nintendo was still developing for a home console and a handheld console at the same time. Uh, so there was some cross-play between the uh, Game Boy Advance at the time and the Nintendo GameCube, but Nintendo was basically splitting its focus between two systems. Yeah. And so you weren't getting a steady stream or the steady stream of Nintendo games that we get nowadays with the Switch. Yeah, or exactly. Or we see nowadays with the Switch. It was a bit more scant, but... Uh, hardware limitations, it, you know, wasn't as powerful as the PS2, uh, which this came out in the era and tried to compete against the PS2, which is the best-selling home console ever. Yeah. So, of course, anything is gonna look like, like trash compared to that. I mean, this is also when we saw the Xbox first come onto the scene as well. Mm-hmm. So, the Xbox, as we've talked about before, was just a PC in a box. Yes. That fit under your TV. Like, it was just a computer. So anything a computer could do, the Xbox technically should be able to do. Mm-hmm. And then you had this this dainty, small, uh, cube-like system, which was kind of weird. But that being said, there were some really fantastic games for it. Yeah, like, I, I, I know that, like, it was lacking in terms of, like, number of games available, but some, like, the games that were available that, you know, came out... And, like, there's been some lasting classics, including the introduction of some uh, franchises that have sort of become Nintendo mainstays. Like, like Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing, for sure. Also, Metroid Prime. Yep. Made its debut here. Uh, you know, uh, Smash Brothers started, well, on N64, but the most popular iteration of Smash Brothers, Melee, is the one for the GameCube. Mm-hmm. It's so popular, in fact, that even when Smash Brothers Ultimate was released for the Switch uh, about two years ago now, Nintendo had the GameCube-like controller peripheral released for the Switch. Yeah. So he could still play with a GameCube-like controller. I also think they released some sort of dongle that let you plug in a GameCube controller through USB, like an actual GameCube controller. That's right. I think there was, yes. Yeah. So... They've they've made concessions recognizing the popularity of this iteration of Smash Brothers, but yeah, so you know, and also the better version of uh, Legend of Zelda, Twilight Princess, uh, Twilight Princess, and yep. things like that. So, and actually, one of the most controversial versions of a Legend of Zelda game with the release of Wind Waker. Yeah, we say controversial. It doesn't seem controversial now in hindsight, but at the time. It was oh, like, oh, there was a lot of uh, uproar about the visual style of Wind Waker at the time, which, I mean, 10, 12 years on seems completely ridiculous, but it was a cell-shaded Legend of Zelda game. Yeah, it was a cell-shaded Legend of Zelda game, but like after coming from, you know, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, people got used to a slight, like, a Zelda that was evolving into a more quote-unquote realistic type aesthetic and for this, you know, new game to just basically totally throw that out the window, people were not super happy at the time, even if, you know, history's come around and people have now recognized it as being a great game. Mm-hmm. But still, I, I distinctly remember at the time people were scoffing at it for being, like, just a cartoony nonsense. It's like, yeah, but, like, have you played Link to the Past? It's the same art style as Link to the Past, Fair point. So I've always made that point. I always maintain that point, and I'm glad that history has now been on my side. So, 
Yeah. It, it feels good to be on the right side of history. <laughs> and I think one of the uh, facts, too, with uh, the GameCube, uh, did not launch with a Mario game. Yeah. Uh, the big Nintendo character release that came out alongside the Nintendo, Nintendo GameCube at the time was a Luigi game. It was Luigi's Mansion. Of all things. Yeah. It wasn't until about a year or two later that uh, the GameCube finally got a, a Mario game, but it, it didn't even feel like a, a true Mario game. It was Super Mario Sunshine, which felt like a, a side, you know, a to the side Mario game. Yeah, which is a, it's a good solid game. It's a fun adventure. Yeah, but it just I don't know felt like Mario is on vacation. Yeah, so like I mentioned, like you know, with the N sixty four and the GameCube, people. At the time, the, the prevailing view was that, like, oh, is Nintendo a company that's on its way out? Kind of like how Sega was? Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, at that time... That was time, happening at the time. Yeah, because it was, it was happening right alongside the Dreamcast, which ended up being the last Sega console. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is Nintendo going to be just like Sega, where they're just... They put out this last kind of underwhelming console, and then it just... Nothing? So five years later... They released this thing called the Wii, which, you know, I think turned everyone's expectations on their ear. Absolutely. So I mentioned kind of uh, in that preamble that a five-year window between console releases is a very short window. Yes. And Nintendo had to have a short window because the GameCube was not a flop, but it wasn't doing well. Uh, It you know, in a fight against uh, the Sony PS2, and on the horizon there was the Sony PS3. Uh, Microsoft released the Xbox 360 in 2005, so these newer, higher-powered uh, consoles that could produce even better visuals, well, the GameCube is just going to look like garbage, you know, compared to those. So Nintendo, instead of trying to compete tit-for-tat, went in a completely different direction and changed up... Not their hardware model, but instead the gameplay style of their system. So instead of uh, trying to compete on visuals, uh, Nintendo left that to Sony and Microsoft to fight out for who would look the best on uh, people's home TVs. Instead, Nintendo had people play things in a completely different way, and with that, we got motion controls thanks to the Wiimote, or Wii Remote. Yeah. Which... Literally was a remote that was your controller, and you would control games with gestures and motion controls and pointing and arm swings and flails and and yada yada yada. Yeah. So at the time it was cool, but you know what we've kind of seen over the last fifteen years since this, the Wii came out is that everything in moderation. Yes. Like motion controls are cool. But they shouldn't be the only thing, because it gets to a point when it's literally just, this is a gimmick. This and, and for a lot of games on the Wii, it was a gimmick. Yeah. Like, if you look back, like, the Wii almost had the opposite problem of the GameCube, where there were just, there's too much content for the Wii, and most of it was garbage. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, you... God, at the time, I certainly recall seeing just bins of games at uh, at Walmart and like stores like that. Like four dollar games, four five dollar games, a whole lot. You could stick your hand into this bin and just pull out some a different title every time, and they all looked like hot garbage. Yeah, it was always like ge- like generic looking sports games and generic looking like 
carnival carnival type games and things like that, like like dancing type things and whatever else. And there was a, a rush, a gold rush, if you will, of basically anyone who knew how to code or develop games trying to get a, a title launched for the Wii. Yeah. Like, it literally was the old gold rush days of everyone rushing in to be here because this is where the hotness was at the time. This was a revolutionary system. Like, this had uh, transcendent success and became a mainstream success. Uh, quite often, you would, uh, at the time, 15 years ago, you know, 14 years ago, really within the first, like, three to four years of the Wii being uh, available, three for sure, four starts to stretch a little, but this being the hot item. Yeah. Like, you couldn't, you struggled to get a Wii. Like, if you did not have one at, uh, you know, pre-ordered uh, when they launched or things of that nature, you had a hard time getting one for, a, like, a year or so, if not longer. Yeah. And, yes, Nintendo was criticized for supply problems and maybe restricting supply to keep the demand pent up. We'll never know. No, we we really won't, but... You know, that was definitely the, uh, the, the feeling at the time was that like, hey, you know what the, like, you know what the demand is. Are you artificially boosting the demand by making it seem like it's very hard to get one? Like, well, we, our program is old enough that we, we were there. We were there. Like, we started this program around that time and we, we, like, back when we were a terrestrial radio program before we, Actually, I had recorded podcasts that we can actually link you to on our website, thearcadeshow.com, before, so you won't find it necessarily there, but, you know, we had posited, is this a thing that, like, they're doing on purpose? Like, it really feels like, you know, it was a little bit conspiracy theory-ish, but, like, felt like they were doing that on purpose because, you know, it was always sold out. It was. Everywhere you looked, that was the hot item for that holiday season, uh, and I think probably into the next holiday season as well. So it was an interesting dynamic in the console wars at that time, where Nintendo went from basically third place with the GameCube to first place with a bullet in yeah. the form of the Nintendo Wii. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a small, underpowered device, couldn't do HD visuals, was not trying to compete in terms of hardware, wasn't trying to compete in terms of high-fidelity visuals, you know, color saturation, anything of that that nature, was only outputting in 480. Uh, and the internal mechanics, they were improved, but they weren't drastically different from the GameCube. No, I mean, to the point where the first iteration of the Wii had GameCube, like a whole flap that you could flap down, and you know, plug-in GameCube controllers and the disk drive accepted GameCube discs. It did. Fully backwards compatible with the GameCube. Yeah. Which was fantastic. So we had a library of games you could play right off the hop. But uh, I think this uh, console, the Nintendo Wii, might go down as one of the best pairings of home console, like new console going on sale and killer app that shows off why you should have that system. Absolutely. Wii Sports was basically... Like, almost unparalleled. Yeah. I don't know if we've seen another one since. No. Like, and as much as I, you know, in hindsight disparage the overuse of a lot of, like, the the flailing your arms controls, Wii Sports is still fun. Oh, like, yeah. it was still, it was still good. Like, it was still, like, an engaging, fun, at times frustrating experience. I mean, like, the golf game was particularly frustrating sometimes. <laughs> the bowling was fun, though. And I mean, mm-hmm. like, overall... 
it was a great experience just, you know, getting together with your friends, you know, at your friend's place who they might have had a Wii in a couple of games and just like, you know, having a few drinks and playing Wii sports, like. That became a night. Yeah, that was a whole night that people used to have and it was fun. And there was something so simple about the motion controls that anyone of any age, of any gaming background could play a Wii. Yeah. Like, our parents could play a Wii. Our grandparents could play with a Wii. Yeah. And quite often you would see stories on the news, kind of the lighthearted kicker of the six o'clock newscast in your, in your local market of, oh, you know, the, the residents at whatever Shady Acres uh, rest home are getting, getting their game on and it's them playing with a Wii and doing Wii bowling and, and Wii baseball for whatever their activity of the day is and getting yeah. into it and really liking it. Yeah. Like, the motion controls, yes, they got overused and, and whatnot, but at the start, man, that was goddamn revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw after a while it got a bit much. Something like Twilight Princess is not a game you want to play with motion controls. No, not the way that they implemented it. I mean, like, we've later seen motion controls be, you know, tastefully introduced in a Zelda game, you know, through Breath of the Wild. There were a lot of interesting motion controls in the game, but the control to swing your sword is not one of them no. because you're <laughs> if you've played you know that on the Wii the Twilight Princess Wii version it's annoying it's annoying to just be constantly flicking your wrist around just to be you know slicing your sword like there's a lot of sword stuff in Zelda games so like do you really want to be like Basically giving yourself early onset carpal tunnel by doing this? Mm -hmm. Or like repetitive strain injury, like by just flicking your wrist around like this? Like it's, it's silly. There was actually great concern on the part of, uh, I guess, whatever, uh, uh, pediatric societies and other professional medical societies around this time in 2006, 2007 of Wii Elbow. Yeah. Of people overly straining certain muscles in their arm because they've been playing too much and too hard with Wii Sports or Wii Tennis or, you know, games of that nature that required motion controls and they would get, you know, conditions in their elbow, in their arms, in their shoulders, in their wrists. And another condition they might suffer from is a smashed Wii remote or smashed TV. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, if it wasn't fully fastened to your wrist correctly, it could slip out and then fly somewhere. Yeah, fly and smash through your TV, through the wall. It happened quite a lot, and Nintendo had to introduce... I think they were free if you uh, sent away for them. Yeah, the wrist strap things. Better wrist strap things, and then they eventually uh, released the the Wii condoms. Yeah, that's not what they were actually called, but we called them that. Yeah, it, a very thick silicone uh, protecting case for your Wii remote. Yeah. Uh, and again... All wireless, the Wii Remote was uh, wireless, you could charge it, took batteries, whatever the case might be. I do recall having my Wii, you know, going to play it one day and uh, just being so impressed with it that, like, oh, and the fact that impressed me the most in that moment was, like, wow, I can turn on the consoles from this Wii Remote as I'm sitting, like, you know, across the room, like, wow, that's so cool. And then I turned my head, like, four inches and saw the TV remote. Yeah. <laughs> That's did the exact same thing. It's like, oh, this is technology that's been around for like 20 years. Why have we had this for video games the and whole time? And that's just it. It wasn't any sort of new technology. <laughs> it just Nintendo took what existed and put it in a uh, put it all together in this package and it all worked. It worked yeah. perfectly well. Or for the most part, it worked so well. Uh like when the games, you know, 
I think one of the best examples, too, of uh, the Wii and the motion controls that we've spoken here on this program, aside from Wii Sports, uh, the uh, WarioWare game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've, if there is a game to play on the original Wii, that's the game to find. For sure, it's so great. Like, it's a funny game. It's a fun game, but it it's also very funny. Yes. It might be one of the funniest games we've seen. Yeah. In just terms of, like, how... Like, the delivery of everything, like, the the, the form the form baton introductions and stuff mm-hmm. were just, like, great. So, there were... There was a whole lot of garbage on the Wii. There was a whole lot of shovelware at the time, and I think that may have helped contribute to the decline of the Wii as well. Also, the overuse of motion controls and yada, yada, yada. Maybe people who were new to the gaming world were just buying whatever was in the discount bin at Walmart, so they got a lot of crap and got turned off, but... The killer titles that, uh, when they worked, they worked fantastically well, and there was some really good stuff on the Wii, uh, and it was a success. It, uh, I think Lifetime to date has sold over 100 million units. I think yeah. 101.93 is the number that sticks out in my brain, and that, I mean, that's a number that will soon be surpassed by the Switch. Yeah. Uh, probably next year will be surpassed by the Switch. Yeah, I could see it. So, and then it will stand as Nintendo's best-selling console ever. So, and the Switch... Uh, yeah, I think you mentioned with Breath of the Wild, Switch has motion controls. Yeah. But it doesn't hit you over the head with things. No, it really doesn't. I mean, like, it, they've, they've learned to be a little bit more tasteful in the, in the last 15 years with yes. the motion controls. Everyone has, because, you know, it's, it's like computer animation. When computer animation was first a thing, like when they first started introducing it in like the 80s, People became crazy overzealous with it, and like you would see, you know, all these films really overuse it, and it doesn't age well. Like you try to look at some of those like early instances of computer animation, and you look at it and go, "Ugh, why would why did they do that? Mm-hmm. That could have just as easily been a much better looking practical effect." But then, like you know, as technology improves and people like get a better eye for things they kind of realize oh maybe maybe we maybe sometimes less is more and nintendo has really kind of learned from that i think certainly so uh so impressive uh was the motion control technology of the wii at the time uh sony rushed to uh try and duplicate it with their uh their eye toy and their uh glowy colored wands uh, and, uh, for the PlayStation 3, and also Microsoft tried to replicate it with the, uh, uh, the Kinect. Yeah. Which had varying degrees of success and creepiness, so, uh, and also I'll point out too, uh, something I wanted to mention earlier about the GameCube, that, uh, in terms of technical revolutions that people copied, wireless controllers. Yeah. The GameCube was the first, uh, official first party wireless controller. Yeah, the WaveBird. Nintendo released something called WaveBird. They had to brand it because a wireless controller was a weird idea that there wasn't really a, a lot of, especially first-party, you know, peripherals like that. Yeah. I mean, there were third-party things like Mad Cats and stuff like that had tried to make things before, but they were never really great. No. Like, they didn't work particularly well. But Nintendo had it, and they had great success with the WaveBird. It's a wireless GameCube controller, and look... Everyone's had wireless controllers after that. That is now the default standard of a home console. Yeah. Wireless controllers. Just saying. So, the GameCube, not that great a success. It's 15 years old. Uh, sorry, 20 years old. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, 
Really oopsie. trying to not make myself feel that old. Yeah, oopsie whoopsie, made a big mistake. Yep, math is hard. Uh, so the GameCube, 20 years old, the Nintendo Wii, 15 years old, Minecraft, 10 years old. Yeah. Hot damn. Hot damn. That's time passing, my friend. All right, well, I need to go drown my sorrows in a nice tall corned beef sandwich. <laughs> Up next on Corned Beef, corned beef Corner. <laughs> Ah, oh, some nice, uh, some nice mustard, and uh, call it a day, and just uh, sell it in, settle in for the night, watch some Netflix, and uh, go to bed by ten. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, so if uh, uh, that is the rest of your night as well, we certainly understand. Uh, if you're of a certain age, you understand the significance of the Wii when it came out. Uh, I was uh, late for a very important engagement. <laughs> The day the the Wii was released, I had it pre-ordered, uh, and I uh, was late in attending the uh, uh, Grey Cup, uh, which here in Canada is the uh, Canadian f- uh, Football Championship game. I was uh, working it from the production end of things, and uh, I got called in very last minute, <laughs> like very last minute to, to come work it as a, in a backup role, and told the uh, boss that time, I'm going to be late, I'm going to get my Wii. I didn't care. Yeah, I had it pre-ordered. I was getting it day one, and I did because it launched on a Sunday. So, uh, YOLO. Yeah, YOLO indeed. <laughs> uh, so the Wii is 15 years old. The GameCube again, 20 years old. Minecraft, 10 years old. If you have thoughts and memories to share on any of those things, or perhaps anything else that was mentioned on this program, as always, you can email us info at the arcade show dot com or hit us up on social media. We are on the evil platforms of Facebook and Twitter. On both of those at the arcade show, and if you haven't done so already, subscribe for yourself, self, or subscribe for someone else to this program. We are on iTunes, we are on Google Podcasts, and you can find directly links to our pages on both of those also evil platforms uh, on our homepage of the arcade show dot com. And uh, that about wraps us up for this week. So until next time, good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.